Chapter Thirty One of the Bee Master of Warrilow by Tigner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Evolution of the Modern Hive. The Bee Master, explaining to an interested novice the wonders of the modern bar frame hive, often finds himself confronted by a very awkward question. He is at no loss for words so long as he confines himself to an enumeration of the hive's many advantages over the ancient straw skep its elastic brood and honey chambers its movable combs interchangeable with all other hives in the garden its power of doubling and trebling both the number of worker bees in a colony and the amount of harvested honey above all its control over sanitation and the breeding of unnecessary drones but when he is asked the question who invented this hive which has brought about such a revolution in beecraft his eloquence generally comes to a dead stop perhaps one in a hundred of skilled modern beekeepers is able to answer the query but the ninety-nine will tell you the bar frame hive had no single inventor it came to its latter-day perfection by little and little the conglomerate result of years of experience and the working of many minds this is of course as true of the modern beehive as it is of all other appliances of world-wide utility but it is equally true that everything must have had a prime inception at some time and through some special human agency or other and in the case of the bar frame hive the honours appear to be pretty equally divided between two personages widely separated in the world's history samson and sir christopher wren perhaps these two names have never before been bracketed together either in or out of print yet that the association is not a fanciful but in all respects a natural and necessary one will not be difficult to prove the story of how samson albeit unconsciously first gave the idea of the movable comb frame to an english bee-master is probably new to most apiarians as to whether the cloud of insects which samson saw about the carcass of the dead lion were honey-bees or merely drone-flies we need not here pause to determine we are concerned for the moment only with one modern explanation of the incident this is that although honey-bees abominate carrion in general in this particular case the carcass had been so dried and emptied and purified by the sun and usual scavenging agencies of the desert as to leave nothing but a shell a very serviceable makeshift for a beehive in fact consisting of the tanned skin stretched over the ribs of the lion in the summer of eighteen thirty four a certain major munn was walking among his hives pondering the ancient bible narrative when a sudden brilliant idea occurred to him like most advanced beekeepers of his day 
he had long grown dissatisfied with the straw hive and his bees were housed in square wooden boxes but these although more lasting were nearly as unmanageable as the skeps the bees built their combs within them on just the same haphazard plan and once built the combs were fixed permanently to the tops of the boxes now the idea which had occurred to major munn was simply this he reflected that the combs built by the bees in the dry shell of the lion skin were probably attached each to one of the encircling ribs so that when samson took the honeycomb all he need have done was to remove a rib bringing the attached comb away with it thereupon major munn set to work to make a hive on the rib plan which was composed of a number of wooden frames standing side by side each to contain a comb and each removable at will since that time numberless small and great improvements have been devised but in its essence the modern hive is no more than the dried lion skin distended by the ribs as samson found it on that day when he went on his fateful mission of wooing the part played by sir christopher wren in the evolution of the bar frame hive though not so romantic was fraught with almost equal significance to modern beecraft movable comb frames were as yet undreamed of in wren's time nearly two hundred years before major munn invented them but wren seems to have been the discoverer of a principle just as important this was what latter-day beekeepers call storification wren's hive consisted of a series of wooden boxes octagonal in shape placed one below the other with intercommunicating doors and glass windows in the sides of each section up to that date beehives had been merely single receptacles made of straw plastered wattles or wood when the stock had outgrown its dwelling there was nothing for it but to swarm but by the device of adding another story below the first one when this was crowded with bees and a third or even fourth if necessary wren was able to make his hive grow with the growth of his bee colony or contract with its post-seasonal decline he had in fact invented the elastic brood chamber which alone enables the bee-master to put in practice the one cardinal maxim of successful bee-keeping the production of strong stocks wren's octagon storifying hive seems to have been plagiarized by most eminent bee-masters of his day and after with the naive dishonesty so characteristic among bee-men of the time thorley's hive is obviously taken from indeed is probably identical with that of wren the hive made and sold by moses ruston king charles the second's bee-master is of almost exactly the same pattern but it is described as manufactured under the patent of one john geddy 
this patent was taken out by Getty in 1675, and Getty would appear to be the arch purloiner of the whole crew, for it is quite certain that, having had one of Wren's hives shown to him, he was not content with merely copying it, but actually went and patented the principle as his own idea. But Wren's hive, good as it was in comparison with the single chambered straw skep or wooden box, still lacked one vital element. Although he and his imitators had realized the advantage of an expanding beehive, this was secured only by the process of nadiring, or adding room below. Thus, the upper part of Wren's hive always contained the oldest and dirtiest combs, and as bees almost invariably carry their stores upwards, the production of clear, uncontaminated honey under this system was impossible. It remained for a Scotsman, Robert Kerr of Stewarton in Ayrshire, to perfect some hundred and fifty years later what Wren had so ingeniously begun. Whether Kerr, or B. Robin, as he was called by his neighbours, ever saw or heard of hives on Sir Christopher Wren's plan has never been ascertained. But plagiarism was in the air throughout those far-off times, and there is no reason to think Kerr better than his fellows. In any case, the Stewarton hive, like Wren's, was octagon in shape, and had several stories, but these stories were added above as well as below. By placing his empty boxes first underneath the original brood chamber to stimulate increase of population, and then, when the honey flow began, placing more boxes above to receive the surplus honey, B. Robin succeeded in getting some wonderful harvests. His big supers, full of snow-white virgin honeycomb, were soon the talk of Glasgow, where he readily sold them. Imitators sprang up far and near, and it is only within the last twenty-five or thirty years that his hives can be said to have fallen into desuetude. But probably his success was due not more to his invention of the expanding honey-chamber than to two other important innovations which he effected in beecraft. The octagonal boxes of Wren had fixed tops with a central hole, much like the straw hive still used by the old-fashioned beekeepers to this day. Bee Robin did away with these fixed tops, and substituted a number of parallel wooden bars from which the combs were suspended the spaces between the bars being filled by slides withdrawable at will he could thus after having added a story to his honey chamber allow the bees access to it by withdrawing his slides from the outside and when the super was filled with honeycomb the slides were again employed in shutting off communication whereupon the super could be easily removed. This, however, though it greatly facilitated the work of the bee-master, did not account for the large yields of surplus honey which the Stewarton hive, 
first made possible in the light of modern bee knowledge it is plain that a big honey harvest can only be secured by a corresponding large stock of bees and robert kerr seems to have been the originator of what was nothing less than a revolution in the craft hitherto the beekeeper had estimated his wealth according to the number of his hives and the more these subdivided by swarming the more prosperous their owner accounted himself but bee robin reversed all this he housed his swarms not singly but always two at a time and he made large stocks out of small ones by the simple expedient of piling the brood boxes of several colonies together in a word it was the dreadnought principle applied to the peaceful traffic of the hives End of chapter thirty one recording by steve chilvers norwich england end of the bee master of warrilow by tickner edwards